Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. All right, well, this morning we're excited to, I'm excited to preach to you this morning. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 3 if you have your Bibles. I pray you do. I know you've been reading so much scripture over the break and you've just been burning the pages up. But just in case you're not, we're going to do some scripture reading this morning and we're going to read a decent amount of scripture. How many of you know the word gives life? He is spirit and he is life. We need the word of God. The word of God has to be stewarded faithfully in our lives if we ever want to appropriately hear the voice of God for ourselves. I'll say that again. If we ever want to appropriately hear the voice of God for our own in our lives, we must first learn to steward in devotion, steward in devotion, our hunger and burning desire to open the Bible and to read what thus saith the word of the Lord is. It's so important to get into the Bible. And recently, even throughout 2019, everything that I thought I believed about God has pretty much altered. It's pretty much changed. And all of it has come from actually reading the Bible for myself. How many of you know that it's a big difference to actually hear somebody else teach and preach the word? Mom, dad, pastor, youth pastor, whoever it is. But when you actually open the book for yourself, find what Jesus is saying to the church and to the world for yourself, something changes in you. Something quickens in you. And so I believe that it is, yeah, Craig Keener, who is the author of many books, but he is a theologian and a scholar who has worked at the Asbury Seminary School of Theology uh, in Kentucky, he says this in his book, Spirit Hermeneutics. He says this. He says, a church that is not experiential, in other words, experiential, a church that wants to experience God, not just read about God, but experience God, a church that does not want to be experiential or experiential is not a church that is biblical. In other words, we are not a biblical church as all we do is read about God but never experience him. I don't want to just have academic knowledge. I want to encounter the same God that spoke to Moses in a cloud, fire, uh, fire by night and a cloud by day. I want to speak to the same God that Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Joseph and Joshua and Peter, James and John got to see transfigured on the mountain. I don't want to just read about God. I want to experience him for myself. Amen. All right, so let's go to Exodus chapter 3 this morning. I got to turn there my own self, so give me a second. All right, Exodus 3. We're going to jump a couple different passages, but we'll just start, um, we'll just start right here. We, this is a very, very familiar passage of Scripture that I'm sure you're familiar with. We're just going to read a couple of verses concerning Moses when he encounters the burning bush. Verse 2 of Exodus chapter 3 says this. I'm reading from the New King James. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the great sight, this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. 
Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Notice that Jesus, that, the, that God tells Moses to remove his what? Sandals. That'll be important later. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. I'm going to skip over. It says, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to, the, to Mount Nebo. I'm sure that's not how you say it, but in good south-southern language, there's Mount Nebo for you. To the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, and Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. So let's pause a minute and realize what's happening here. God has led Moses up a mountain and has, is, is currently showing him everything that he was designing, what God had told him he was going to have the opportunity to inherit. And I want you to watch what happens right here. Verse 3, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but watch this, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. I want to draw your attention right here to verse 7. It says, I've caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Let's take a moment and pause here and look before we move to the next passage of Scripture. To let's, let's unravel what it is that's actually happening here. The children of Israel have been following Moses. Moses has been their leader for 40 years, 400 years. For years and years, all they have known is Moses. It was Moses that parted the Red Sea for them. It was Moses that healed his sister of leprosy. It was Moses that spoke to God as, a, as God would speak to a friend. It was Moses that would go up on the mountain and receive, and he received the Ten Commandments. It was Moses that would go out into his tent and would hear God speak of a cloud by day and a fire by night while Joshua I love that, that Joshua, when Moses would go into the tent, young Joshua, his assistant, would stay in the presence of the Lord. But Joshua hadn't yet, hadn't yet got there. Here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 34, and Moses is dead. Moses was the one that caused manna to come down from heaven. It was Moses that when the manna came down from heaven, in the tents, the Bible says that the manna did not come into their mouths, but the manna was actually within the reach out in front of their tents. How many of you know that when God gives you a promise, he'll never come and actually plant it into your life. He just plants it within your reach. So when God gets ready to do something in our lives, he'll bring a person into our lives to then bring that breakthrough. God co-labors with man on the earth in order to get his, his domineering plan and purpose into the earth. How does the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea? Through you and I. One miracle at the time. It is the supernatural realm of God that the Lord has, has perfectly and sovereignly designed and set up for his believers on the earth 
to cause that to then manifest to a lost and to a broken world. Christ did not come to save the church. Christ came to save the world. So it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. So manna from heaven falls. It's Moses that, it was, it was Moses that gave them strength. It was Moses that spoke to God for them. If they needed a word, it was Moses. If they needed deliverance, it was Moses. It was Moses. It was Moses. It was Moses. It's all that they had known. And now Moses is dead. How many of you can honestly say that in my life, I know that there are seasons that God is trying to take me into, but because of what has happened in my past, I can't seem to shake loose and break from what once was. Jesus is moving on the earth today, and I believe that 2020 is a very prophetic, strategic year that Jesus is screaming from heaven, and he is saying, what was then is great, but I don't know about you, friend. I refuse to live in the past off of yesterday's bread. For we are not to live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. That word proceeding is an active verb. In other words, God was not just speaking then. He speaks now. So how many of us in this room can honestly say that, Present things in our lives sometimes get stopped up and sometimes they get held up or damned up in our lives because we can't seem to shake what once was. This is what the children of Israel were experiencing during this time. Everything that they knew about God had come through their leader, Moses. And now Moses is dead. I've come to pronounce to you this morning that 2020 is upon us and 2019 is about to be officially over. So now we are living in a time where God is saying, shake off the stuff from the past and let's do like Paul and let's live in the, in the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. Because God says in the Bible that Paul was hungry to live and to press forward to the upward calling of Christ Jesus and to run his race with endurance. You and I are living for something far greater than ourselves, friend. And Jesus, in his sovereign, infinite wisdom, will cause you and I to not just, he, he's not going to force anything on you. Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and he will place himself under every other voice in our lives until we are willing to close out the clutter that Matt so beautifully exhorted us about this morning, until we begin to remove the clutter from our eyes and to place his voice and to place his presence at the center of our very lives. There is no striving in the life of the believer. The only thing that we are ever called to strive to do is to enter into rest. So everything that the children of Israel had ever known about God has come through Moses. God takes Moses up a mountain and tells him, I want you to look over here. I want you to look at everything, and you're not going to get to possess it. Now let's go to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to skip all the way to 13. Okay, Moses is dead. Joshua has been commissioned with authority and power to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Now let's look at what happens. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? 
So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot. Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Over in Joshua chapter 1, Moses tells Joshua that the same way that I was with Moses, I will be with you. The same way that I was with Moses, and I moved on Moses' behalf, and I delivered all of the children of Israel through the hands of Moses. It was, it was God who empowered Moses. And now, Joshua is the one that God is going to speak to. Joshua is the one that God is going to move through. And in Joshua chapter 1, God tells him, I'm going to be with you the same way that I was with Moses. What am I trying to tell you? Anytime that we operate or we rely on the leader or the pastor or another man or another man's ability to get into the presence of the Lord and we ride that anointing, although the anointing does flow from the head down, and I believe that. But listen, friend, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus tore the veil. We do not have to depend on another man's anointing or another man's life of devotion in order to get ourselves into a place where we can hear God. The veil has been torn, and according to Hebrews chapter 4, we all get to go boldly into the throne of grace. So anytime that we rely on another man's anointing or another man's gift, we are actually operating under an old covenant reality, under an old covenant mindset. But everything in Scripture points to one thing. Jesus, who makes all things new. From Genesis to Revelation, every scripture, every chapter, every chapter division, every book, all 66 books are enriched and empowered and clothed with one revelation. And that is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, came to make all things brand new. Adam was inferior to the last Adam, Jesus. John the Baptist was great, and he preached repentance. But even John the Baptist said, there is one coming that is greater than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to latch it. I baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize you in the fire of the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist had his head cut off. Why? Because the head of the church had to come. John the Baptist was great, but I believe that it is prophetic that John the Baptist loses his head because Jesus knew that he was coming and he was going to set up his rule and his reign in the earth. The head of the church. It's what Ephesians, when Ephesians talks about the church, we move over into Colossians, and Colossians is the book about the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Ephesians, we learn about the church, and Colossians, we learn about Jesus himself, about the head of the church. Joshua, the book of Joshua, and Ephesians are Old Testament and New Testament companions. What do you mean? In Joshua, we hear about the children of Israel inheriting land. In Ephesians, we hear about Paul speaking to us about inheriting life. One group of people inherits land, but the next group of people inherit life. 
Joshua is not a book for wimps. Joshua is not a book for the weak or for the puny, for the coward or for the passive believer. Joshua is a book for diligent, God-seeking, God-faring, Holy Ghost-filled people of God that are ready to conquer something in the name of our Lord God, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. It is a cop-out to settle for a benevolent-type ministry and to just hand out blankets and food, although that's great. When you and I have been given the same spirit that has raised Christ Jesus from the dead on the inside of us. I want to give out blankets and clothes. I want to give out food to the poor. The Bible is very specific that we are to do that. But we're never designed to stop there, friend. When we give the blanket and then we don't, speak in tra- we don't speak transformation into that person, only half of the job has been done. All right, so Joshua, I feel this in my bones this morning. So Joshua was commissioned to remove his sandal. I want you to turn to Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to just put our hands there, and if you want to open it and just set it to yourself, but that's where we'll be going next. So you can just set it there. Surrendering our rights to fulfill the promises of God over our life is the only means by which we will ever obtain and possess the promises. We applaud judgment, but we stumble over goodness. How swift we are to individually accept imputed righteousness and undeniable mercy will determine how we steward the coming wave of kindness. In Acts 10, And Cornelius' house is playing out right before our very eyes. How will we handle it? We stumble over goodness. I know I do. What do you mean? When God gets ready to bless somebody else, when God gets ready to reveal anything, it is always moved by his tender, caring, compassionate heart of undeniable love and kindness. It was God's kindness and it was God's goodness that that he revealed to Moses when he said, God, I want your glory to pass before me. And the Bible says in Exodus that all of his, what, goodness passed before him. And Matthew chapter 20 over in the New Testament, it's the parable of the 11th hour worker. And the workers come, but the workers that got there first thing in the morning received the same wages as what the people who came later in the, hour, in the day who only worked a few hours. But those that had been toiling early in the morning, they got ready to receive their wages and they stumbled over goodness. And this is how Jesus leaves us in this parable. Is your eye evil because I'm good? In other words, don't let your eye be evil. Don't stumble over the fact that I am good and that I am merciful. Because these are the days that we are living in, friend. Why do you think that Pastor John is drilling this in our mind about the punishment versus, versus God's goodness paradigm? Why do you think that this is something that we're hearing all throughout the earth? I want you to take a step back and just Google moves of God, current moves of God, and just go to YouTube and see the primary domineering, dominant factor and stream that God is using to do anything on the earth today. It is his goodness. Why? Because over 19 million children under the age of 18 have no dad in their home. People are lost, friend. 
People are broken. People are depressed. In 2010, between 2010 and between 2012, according to the greatopportunity.org, depression and suicide rates have skyrocketed, all because of smart devices and all because of tablets. My kids will not know a world without a screen in front of their face. And I believe with every fiber in my being that Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about pastors and leaders. I'm grateful for every man of God. Please hear what I'm saying. But I believe that it is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, that we are going to get to experience Jesus Christ will be the most polarizing figure that the world has ever seen in the coming days. The last real move of God, I mean super impactful move of God that we experienced. I'm I'm not discrediting anything that God did in Brownsville, Azusa, Toronto Blessing, any of those. But one of the most, probably the most Dominant, most impactful moves of God that we have experienced on the earth was the Welsh Revival in 1904. And what sparked that, in what, what sparked that, we know about Evan Roberts, right? He was the one that God used to pioneer that. There was a young girl who stood up in a meeting during the, in the beginning days of the Welsh Revival. And, she, and there was a time of testimonies, and some of the people had kind of gotten off a little bit, and, and just like any good pastor does, he gets the mic, and he removes it back to what Jesus is doing, what God is doing, and he calls up, this, this little girl stands up and says, I would like to stand, I would like to stand and say something, and her name was Flory Evans, this young little girl, and you know what she stands up and says? I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart, and she sits down. Everything, all the theological stuff, man. It doesn't mean a hill of beans. What matters is that you love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. People that were in that gathering that day said that when that little girl stood up and said, I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart, and she sat back down, she, they said that it was like an electric shock that went through that place. People that went to bars after that picked up a drink and because of the convicting power of God sat their drinks back down and went on their way. Soccer games were completely stopped under the unction and power of the Holy Spirit all because of what happened that night. It acted as if a shock. We have not experienced a move of God. We've experienced one great awakening, a second great awakening, but the third great awakening has not yet come. And I believe with every fiber in my being that 2020 will be a year of the unveiling and the uncoming of Jesus Christ. That's what we need in our meetings. We need Jesus, not Moses. We need Jesus, not Joshua. We need Jesus, not Elijah. We need Jesus, not T.D. Jakes, Ron Carpenter, Samuel Rodriguez, or the rest of them. Stephen Furtick, whoever your favorite preacher is. They are great. We need them. But more than anything, we need Jesus. It's Jesus that changed my life. It's Jesus that transformed me. It's Jesus that quickens my mortal body. He is the living word of God, friend. It is by his grace and by his grace alone that I can do, be anything in this life. Can I get an amen? It's a very prophetic time that we are in. People like Kanye West are denouncing everything that they know and turning to Jesus. 
I am not here to get into a theological debate with you about whether or not God is truly using Kanye. But what I will tell you is that God has used Kanye West, and Kanye West has brought more attention and awareness to the name of Jesus Christ than what the church in the South has done in about 15,000 years. People like Kanye West are going to continue to emerge. He is not the last one that God will raise up. Because just like in Acts 10, Peter did not understand that he could not touch anything that was unclean or unholy or whatever. Because Cornelius was not of his kind. But then when Peter has the revelation on the rooftop, when the sheet is descended from heaven... And the reptiles and all the different creatures are on the four corners. And Peter says, but I can't touch anything that's unclean. And God says, no, arise, kill, and eat Peter. He goes to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius gathers everybody. And Peter stands and he proclaims the bold proclamation of the gospel. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit falls in the room. All through a man that was not even supposed to be coming together at all. What am I trying to tell you? Cornelius' house is playing out right before our eyes. After this happens, Peter goes to the door. He, excuse me. When Peter goes to the door and he preaches and the Holy Spirit falls, that's Acts 10. Over in Acts 12, the church, the Passion Translation says, is praying passionately for Peter to be let go of prison, to be let out. Peter is in jail the angel of the Lord arrests him, leads him out of jail, and then goes to the house where the, where the saints are praying passionately for Peter's dismissal from prison. Peter knocks on the door. After he knocks on the door, the servant girl who was in the house goes to the door. It's Peter. After she sees that it's Peter, she goes running back into the house where the, where the believers and the saints are gathered praying passionately, and they don't even believe that it's Peter. What am I trying to tell you this morning? Believers get so caught up in binding and loosing the devil, and we get so caught up in everything else that when Jesus gets ready to give you the answer to your prayer, sometimes you forget how to actually even receive the answered prayer. We, we need to understand that he is other than. He is holy. Jesus is not like you and I. Jesus' ways are way higher than yours and I. So many times I've been riding down the road just talking with Abby. And I'll say, there is no way that I could have fathomed this two years ago that Jesus would come and do what he's doing in our life the way that he did it. I knew he was going to do it. But I had no idea that it was going to come this way. Why? He'll never answer the prayer normally how you think he's going to do it. He'll bring it to you in a package that eye has not seen and that ear has not heard. Why? Because he is infinite. He is supernatural. And he is all wise. Everything about him is different and other than for him. He is not double-minded. He is not fickle. Because James says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. But when you pray, make sure that you pray with confident faith, knowing that you're going to get what you asked for. This is not something that you and I do very good. I know I don't. Let me just say that for me. Well, God, I don't know if you heard. Did you hear me? Well, I don't know, God. Is it really going to happen? God, I feel like the walls are crashing in on me. God, I, feel, I don't feel like you hear me right now. 
everything that comes against us in our lives as the believer is to push us further into peace. Everything that comes against us to wage war against our devotion with Christ is to to try to disrupt our rest. We have one job as a son and a daughter of God. And that it, we don't strive for anything but rest. According to Hebrews chapter 4, we strive to enter into confident rest. Watchman Nee, in his book, he wrote a beautiful commentary that I have been shredding over. I've read a ton over the last couple of weeks. And Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor. I believe he was a forerunner. He planted, over, he planted right out about 200 churches in a matter of 27 years. He wrote books, and then the, the English people, then, you know, our people came in, and we translated them over into English. And I've been reading this commentary on Ephesians. If you notice, chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians are all about sitting in Christ, the in him dimension. 127 times the Apostle Paul says the words, in Christ. The Apostle Paul's life could be summed up with those two powerful, power-packed, soaked, saturated words, in Christ. Everything that we do in this life is to be from Christ. Watch. In the kingdom, it's very different than the world. How do you say that? How do you know that? Prove it, okay? In the world, we have to work And we have to perform in order to get raises. In the kingdom, everything is given to you up front. Your abundance is given to you up front. Your provision is not granted to you based off of your good behavior or your performance. Your provision, your peace, your grace, your uh, your rest, your joy, everything is giving to you as a free gift just by you accepting what the Lord Jesus did over 2,000 years ago. We are not called to live toward provision, toward peace. We are to live from peace, from righteousness, from joy, from rest. Our abundance and security and identity is secure in Christ. He has raised us up, sat us down, and now he is making our enemies, our our and his footstool, ruling and reigning. Everything that we do in this Christian life is to be done from a seated position. Paul says, I want to run my race with endurance, not external striving. Paul says, I want to run my race with endurance, not killing myself. But we applaud this. We applaud this in the church. Go out, plant more churches, get more people saved, get more people healed, get more, do more, be more. Because in me and in you, there is a Martha and a Mary in all of us. You cannot build one single thing as a Martha. You will have to be seated like Mary. Because in you, there are both revelations. We have a two-sided reality about us. Because in us, there is a Martha and there is a Mary. But good luck trying to build like Martha. Because anytime we revert the order from sit, walk, 
uh, excuse me, sit, yeah, sit, walk, stand. Anytime we do it, stand, walk, sit, and anytime we revert the order, the result equals disaster. Every single time, friend. Every single time, we must start seated. We heal the sick from rest. We get people saved from rest. We see the dead raised, the lame walk, the blind eyes open, the deaf ears. Everything reverts back to the in him dimension. So why did I point out the fact that Moses took off both sandals? But Joshua only took off one sandal. I want you to turn in your Bible to Ruth chapter 4. Be careful because Ruth is only a couple, it's only four chapters. But it'll be Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And you'll miss it if you're not careful. I'm going to give you a little context right here for where we're at, okay? It's 1130. We're almost done. Everybody okay? Hallelujah. All right. In Ruth, you got Naomi, you have Elimelech. Am I pronouncing that right? Not, if I'm not, tell me. It's like E-L-I-M-E-L-O. He was, he was the husband of Naomi, okay? Forgive my poor language. Naomi marries Elimelech, Elimelech, whatever. He marries him. They're, they're married. They have, they have two sons. The two sons die, he dies, and now Ruth, I mean, excuse me, now Naomi is left with her two daughter-in-laws, with Ruth. Ruth gets ready because Naomi's trying to say, hey, you need to stay here. And Ruth said, just like Elisha told Elijah, everything in the Bible is connected, friend, don't miss it. I will not leave you. Until you give me a double portion of your spirit. So Naomi says, you need to go on back. Ruth says, no, no, no. I will stay attached to you. I'm not leaving your side. Ruth goes into the field to glean. She's fixing to get some food. Boaz sees her. They hook up. They have a midnight rendezvous. Glory to God. Then, this is what happens right here. I want you to go, we're in, we're in Ruth 4, look at verse 7. Boaz has come to the revelation of how smoking hot fine this one called Ruth is, a lot like Miss Abby. Jesus, bless the name of the Lord. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning, watch this, I love this, what I'm fixing to show you, redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man would take off his what? Say it out loud. His sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, y'all look up at me right here. Boaz was, getting, was fixing to get rights of everything that Naomi had. She puts the lot up for sale. Bo, Boaz goes into the town. He gathers the elders. And the close relative that was supposed, that was designated to get everything that belonged to Naomi. Now, Boaz is getting ready, and he's saying, hey, I'm after this woman called Ruth, Ruth, and I want her. So, but I know that the closest relative that Naomi's husband had really is supposed to have the rights to it. But watch what happens right here. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, 
you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Mahalon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Mahalon, I have acquired as my wife. So what did the close relative have to do in order to receive everything? She had, they had to take the sandal off and say, because this was what was done in the, in the, in the, uh, in the Hebrew culture. If you wanted to redeem, claim, or exchange anything, you had to remove one sandal and you had to give it up and say, I surrender my right to this property, to this person, and to this thing. Okay? So we know what's going on here, right? The close relative redeems his right and Boaz holds the sandal up and he says, look what has happened. He has given rights to everything. Now it's in my possession. And he goes and he takes Ruth home, baby. Glory, right? Now, let's go back. If y'all, and Nicole, I know you're back there. If you'll help me, let's go back to Joshua chapter 5, verse 15 in the New King James. Watch what, watch what was about to happen right here. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off of your foot. For the place where you stand is holy. What is, the, what is the picture that I'm trying to tell you? Moses was great. In Exodus 33, he spoke to God as a friend. I am not discrediting that Moses was a man of power, dignity, and strength. He was that. But there was something about the DNA of Joshua that God knew he possessed. How is it? Because the Bible says, if you look in what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 34, that Moses did not die in any sort of poor condition. He dies in great condition. A hundred and something years old, which back then wasn't that long. He dies and then boom, the Lord lets the children of the Israel, he, he lets the children of the Israel weep and be sorrowful for a little while. And a week turned to a month and a month to, and, and, and a day turned to a week and then a week turned to a month. And now, Jesus comes to Joshua and says, Moses is dead. Moses is gone. And, uh, and that he takes the children of Israel through the promised land. They get into Jericho. And then he tells him, the angel of the Lord comes and says, remove your sandal. Anything that we do in this life has to be done from surrendering our rights. Do you see the revelation? If you want the promises of God to come into your life, first of all, you cannot try. You must trust. You cannot strive. You must rest. I'm learning to, I'm preaching my way out of the white paper sack. I'm learning how to do this for myself. But Pastor John's always taught me to preach for my life. So this is what I'm giving you today. This is all I know to give you. Because as for her and I, we're learning how to do this. Do you know how I got from 20 kids to 100 kids last Wednesday night? 90 if you were counting. Do you know how that happened? Not from great messages. They don't remember. Ask Mari. He don't remember a single thing I preach on Wednesday night. They don't. But when you first get that job, boy, I'm fixing to preach the walls down up in there. Too bad that really don't mean a hill of beans. Those kids don't remember what you preach. They remember that you love them. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you this morning, friend? 
Everything that any accomplishment that her and I have ever had in this life has come when I didn't understand how in the world. Because God really only becomes God to you when you're in a mess. When you're in a bind. But he is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Nisi. Always. And we really don't get God. We really don't see God. We really don't experience God. And all of his power until things get icky. But just like that person that's on that bench is having to bench press, every good weightlifter knows this, don't they, Clay? That you have to, you need a spotter. And a good spotter is not somebody that takes the weight and does it for you. Jesus is, you, oh man, I've got this burning in me. Listen, a good spotter is going to allow you to get the weight And even though you can't quite get it, he's not going to get it for you. What am I trying to tell you? You need to let God be your spotter today. Surrender your rights today. Take off your shoe and say, you know what? I'm ready to exchange my rights. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to trust. The greatest thing that you and I could ever do is to enter into this reality. Because everything in life comes from this one revelation. Everything. That's why Watchman Nee says anytime we revert the order of sit, walk, stand, the result equals failure. The result equals disaster 100% of the time. Can I get an amen? We're almost done. Although in Zechariah, Concerning the instructions for the temple building of Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, only by your spirit, his spirit. Watch, next verse, or over down. But by the hands of these people, I will carry out the building of the tabernacle. But watch what happens. But God says, but I will finish it. Watch this. In Numbers, Moses names what we know as Joshua now, Hosea. Hosea means, simply means salvation. A couple verses down in that same chapter, now his name is Yahashua, which where we get Joshua, which means this, the Lord is salvation. John, Moses, and Joshua point to John the Baptist and Jesus. Not by my might, not by my power, but only by your spirit, says the Lord. Hosea, salvation. Joshua, the Lord is my salvation. Anything that is good that comes out of this life is not because you earned it. You can't pray enough, friend. You can't fast enough. And I believe that the Lord is trying to redefine what true consecration is. Because when I first had my encounter with God, I thought that I was going to try to pray fast and kill myself enough in order to get God to bless me and in order to get God to use me. But then I got the revelation in Matthew chapter uh, 20, I believe it is. Don't quote me on that. It might be Matthew 8. When the man with leprosy comes to God and says, you can heal me if you really want to. And the Bible says that Jesus joined 
clinged and adhered, if you look that up in the Greek, himself to the man. This man was oozing with pores, oozing with hideous, nasty disease. And the Bible says this. Stand up, Trenton. This is what Jesus does to this man. He grabs a hold of this man, and he holds on to him. Jesus, if I could play Buddy the Elf this morning, that's what I was going to do. Buddy the Elf falls in love with the, who's seen Buddy the Elf? The best Christmas movie ever. Come on, y'all people. Look here. All right, put your hands down. If you don't know, I'm going to give you context. Buddy the Elf falls in love with this woman, and they're going around New York, and they're walking around Rockefeller Center, and they're ice skating. Whoop-de-doo. Everything's great. Falling in love. He's got a cool little hat on, little scarf. They're just doing it, man. World's best cup of coffee. They go in, have coffee. Y'all know the story, right? Buddy the Elf, because I'm fixing to give you, I'm fixing to give you the only key to I don't know anything, but this is one thing that I know what I'm fixing to tell you this morning. Oh, Buddy the Elf, he's falling in love. He goes to his dad, Walter Hobbs. Walter didn't even know that he really even had a son until Buddy came in singing a Christmas carol. And he said, what is this, some type of joke, you know? Buddy the Elf falls in love with, falls in love with this woman, and they're, man, they're they doing it, right? First day, they even give each other, even give, give each other a little peck. It's on. They, he, Buddy the Elf walks into the conference room where his dad is sitting at the table with some big VIP executive guru that's fixing to give some rep, they're, they're going to help with this new children's book that they got going on. And Buddy the Elf comes flying into the door after his first date. He removes that hat and says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. And Walter, his dad, says, Buddy, can you just go back down to the pit? Buddy makes a few mistakes in that meeting. And then Walter decides he's going to cuss him, yell at him, and say this. I don't care that you're my son. I don't care that I even knew you to begin with. Get out of my life now. Even in our faults and even in our failures, according to Hebrews chapter 4 and according to Romans chapter 5, Jesus never acts like Walter Hobbs. And the times that I have experienced God truthfully for myself has been walking up and down here and in that office right there and in my house when nobody's watching me and I make an absolute fool of myself. I'm dancing in my bathrobe, just me and my dog. I got both hands up. I'm spinning. I'm singing. Better be careful how you judge somebody else's worship because you don't know what that costs. David worshipped his way into authority. That's how he got the kingdom. That's how he got to rule and reign. Through one revelation of who God was. David was a pre-Jesus man living in an old covenant world that pulled a New Testament reality into a pre-Jesus day. He was a prophetic person. And David co- and God comes to Samuel. And he says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? And I want to tell you this morning, friend, how long are you going to mourn for your Moses season? Your Joshua season is upon you. So get up, shake yourself off, and keep on moving. Joshua points us right to Jesus. Oh, let's read Hebrews 4 in the Passion. 
And then we're closing. It's 1145. This is as great as I've ever done. Give myself a pat on the back. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm fixing to read you everything that sums up. Everything that sums up what I'm talking about today. Hebrews chapter 4. This is titled, The Faith Rest Life. This has become one of my favorite revelations of all. I want you to look up here at me when you, once you get Hebrews 4. How are we going to do this? How are we going to carry this out? Because God does have big plans. He does have a huge purpose. He does want you to obtain everything that he has for you. How is this going to happen, friend? Jesus gets ready to die on the cross. This is his upper room discourse is what we like to call it. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's telling them the last thing because their hearts are going to become sorrowful. Their hearts fall into temptation, and they fall asleep. I used to think that was because of their spiritual hunger, but it was not. It was because of their unbelief that they fell asleep. And in Jesus' last words to his disciples, this is what he tells them. Because watch this. At this point, they had already received the father-son revelation. They had already received the bride and the bridegroom revelation. They had already received that. Jesus gets ready to go to the cross, and this is what he says. I call you what? Friends. How is this going to happen? Friendship. Friendship. I've heard stories. I've heard stories of people who go into their prayer closet, and when they get ready to encounter and speak to God, if I can get this chair, when they get ready to encounter God, they sit like so. And they put an empty chair right here in front of them. And that's Jesus. And they say, man, if my kids came in here and saw me talking to this empty chair, they would think I was strung out on Xanax, alcohol, uh, acid, bath salt, the works. These are the stories that we hear about. Because when we talk to Jesus, we must understand that we are not talking to a distant God. God is with us. God is for us. He is listening. He is moving. He is breathing. He is speaking. And he is earnestly desiring. Because don't forget that the same spirit that breathed life into your heart will be the same spirit that will quicken your mortal body. Jesus knew that we could not do it with him here. Because many of us don't see things and we get weary and we get tired. Because we cannot see the physical, natural manifestation with our eyes. But Jesus knew that I'm about to send somebody else and he's going to be closer to you than a friend. Jesus sticks closer to us than a friend. He is a help in the present time of need. Jeremiah 33, call to me and I will answer. According to John chapter 14, verse 16, the Bible says that word helper right there is translated parakletos. Parakletos means friend, comforter, helper. He sticks closer. I'm thankful for Abby, but Jesus sticks close for me even when everybody else leaves me. He's still for me. He's still with me. And I'm thankful for everybody else's testimony. But I've got my own testimony of the time where I didn't have a soul. Everybody walked out on me. I was broken, lost, depressed. 
But Jesus came through for me. Jesus pulled back everything else. In the middle of pornography. In the middle of lust. In the middle of cussing every breath. In the middle of being moved by popularity and everything else. It was Jesus that came in with his strong arm and touched me. And I began to cry hot, sweaty, ugly, snotty tears. And he touched me. And since that moment forward, I've never been the same. Authority comes with, with commission, friend. But power comes with the encounter. Authority comes with the commission. Apostolic commission. The encounter comes. Power follows the encounter. What you need is a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 5 verse, verse 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word feel means to be inebriated. In other words, you are to be running over. Because the Bible tells us, watch this, that the days that we have been given are evil. But the wise redeem the time. Matthew chapter 25 and the story of the ten virgins have nothing to do with the, bri with the, with the bridegroom coming back to his bride. It has nothing to do with the rapture. It has everything to do with how we spend our time. It has everything to do. Because it's not like Jesus is sitting up there saying, man, when we do come to him, man, you screwed up. I mean, I've been here waiting the whole time. No, he sits in his tender care and compassion and says, hey, I'm here whenever you get ready. You say, prove it. Luke chapter 15, the story of the loving father, not the prodigal son. You see, the church majors on minors and minors on majors. We think because in Revelation chapter 3, because the church, because this is what we've said, you better be hot, you better be cold, or I'll spew you out of my mouth. But we, we don't read on down. and we don't, ever, we don't get on the great search engine, Google, and figure out that the angel of the Lord and that God was speaking to a church at Laodicea. Laodicea was pastored by the same man that was Paul's disciple, who was the church at Colossae. And those people were connected to Ephesus. They were a very rich city. And the textile industry was very big during that time. And the Roman emperor Domitian decides that he's going to put out a decree that if you don't, if you don't worship the emperor and you don't, if you don't give your worship and your praise to me, that I'm going to cut off your ability to buy and to sell. Because trade was a big thing back then. So when Jesus says, be hot or be cold, before I will spew you out of your mouth, if we read on down, the Bible says, but you need to purchase gold and let it be refined by the refiner's fire. Because I stand at the door, Revelation 3, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock continuously. And the only thing that I need you to do is just open in, is to just let me come in. Jesus doesn't leave us when we do wrong, friend. His love for you is not based off of how many good things you do. You couldn't earn it if you tried. You couldn't obtain it if you tried. You couldn't get it no matter how hard you tried. It's impossible. You earn it by imputed righteousness. We place so much emphasis on impartation in the church. But we fail to read the Passion Translation that says, When Jesus died on the cross, he gave you and I imputed righteousness. It's in here. We don't live toward it. We live from it. Amen? So we need to start pushing people down because Jesus never did that. Jesus never did that. He brought people up. 
Jesus didn't push anybody to the ground. Listen, I want to be pushed to the ground. Push me to the, I mean, I want to be slain in the spirit. That's great. We all need it, okay? But we act as if that's the nucleus. We want to get people to an altar so we can push them down, so they can be slain in the Holy Ghost. And then two months later, they're right back in the same sin that they were in before they came to the altar. Because a personal conviction that I have in my heart that burns in me weekly is people that once burned for God, people that were once loving God, and today they're nowhere to be found. What was it? Fear ran out. Fear is gone. You can't can't live off of fear. The kingdom operates off of love. Eventually that fear will wear out and die. But love goes on forever and ever and ever and ever from glory to glory forever. The currency of heaven is faith and love. That's how we do achieve, obtain, possess anything in this life. Amen? So Jesus is better. Alan Mack, will you help me come close this, baby? Joshua points us to Jesus. Jesus needs you and I. You say, how does, how does that happen? Am I suggesting to you, because I know I'm sure I got some scholars in here that are going to go look, look this thing up, okay? Does Jesus need us, yes or no? I will tell you this. This is my personal conviction. Did Jesus really need John the Baptist to baptize him? He submitted his life to Joseph first, then John the Baptist. Did he really need him? Did he have to come and plant himself in Mary? Or did he need Mary to get his will done into the earth? Did he really need Ananias to go heal Paul after the road to Damascus and boom, he's blind with the radiant light? He chooses to use Ananias and by his hands, then he receives recovery of his sight. Does Jesus need it? I would say absolutely he does. Absolutely he does. And as a matter of fact, he's comforted by every single time that you decide to step out and trust him. He's comforted by that. It makes him so happy. Be not distracted by this natural realm, Colossians 3, I believe. Be not distracted with what's going on out here in the natural. But set your, set your mindset, set your thoughts on the heavenly realm. There is no lack in heaven. There is no struggle, straining, striving And heaven to earth is the one assignment that you and I have as this believer. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. We don't carry this out. He has an unlimited source of strength and power. Although he does need a man filled with the Spirit. Witnessing their communion on earth as it is in heaven. 2 Kings, I forget, might be 2, might be 5. 2 Kings, Elijah's done done his job. Now it's time for Elisha to move on. If you read this passage that I'm talking about here in 2 Kings, out of the revelation of intimacy and friendship with God, you'll miss it. The Bible says... That when the mantle got ready to be passed to Elisha, and Elijah and Elisha talked. What's the point? 
What's the revelation? God was really concerned about them talking in order for Elijah to fulfill his next assignment and for Elisha to fulfill his assignment on the earth. Friendship and communion with God is how everything happens in this life. It was when Jesus sat down at the table with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And when he broke the bread and when he gave it to them, that was when their eye, boom, and Jesus vanishes. That was when their eyes were open. And they say, were our hearts not burning? Communion. It's communion when our eyes get open. It's communion that causes us to see God for who he really is. And Jesus never bashes us like a judge with a robe and a gavel ready to say, you're guilty. He's, he has called us and gave us the verdict of not guilty. And Jesus is calling us and wooing us into 2020 just to do this, man. This is what he needs. You say, you mean to tell me that Jesus wants me that type of way? You mean to tell me that, that this, is, this is what it's supposed to look like? There's something about this friendship dimension that's burning in me. I'm thankful for great services, but if all we're going to do is have great services, let's go on home, man. Let's get on out of here. Because to me, why would I settle for something in two hours of what God's trying to do for me seven days a week, 365 days a year? Be filled with the Spirit of God. My cup is to be running over. That passage right there in Ephesians chapter 5, watch the next verse. But be filled and continue singing praises and psalms unto God. Why? Because you're supposed to spill out. And what's going on you is supposed to spill out on somebody else. And then they catch the wind. And then they catch the fire. Then it moves on to somebody else. And then somebody else. And next thing you know, the whole globe is colonized and transformed by the power and the presence of the baptism and the moving and the refreshing and the refilling of the Holy Spirit. This is not a one-time thing for you to be baptized by the Holy Ghost for some preacher to push you in the floor, although that's great. That happened to me. That happened to Abby. That happened to many people in this room. But Jesus wants you to be filled with him every single day. Watch this. This is how we're going to close right here. Watch this right here. Jesus is better than Moses, than Joshua? Why would Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, God Almighty, why would he name Joshua salvation? His name literally means Jesus. Literally, it means that. Jesus is better, friend. The first miracle ever performed under the old covenant was Moses turning the water into blood, resulting in death. The first miracle done under the new covenant was water turned to wine resulting in life under the old covenant they go to the Mount Sinai on the first Pentecost and they 3,000 people die on the first Pentecost and the next Pentecost in the new covenant Peter stands and preaches the bold proclamation of the gospel and 3,000 people get brought to life 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we now with an unveiled face beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord and we are being conformed into the image of his son. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I believe it is. To those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. 1 John chapter 3, what manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon his children that we might become the sons of God. He who knew no sin became sin that I through him might become the righteousness of Christ Jesus. John chapter 14, in my Father's house there are many mansions. You think you're getting a mansion on earth, in heaven? You're not. You better get yours now. In my Father's house there are many mansions. Let's read it real quick, and then, I'm going, and then we're going to close it, because this is going to really sum it all up. In my Father's house, help me, Holy Ghost, in my Father's house there are many mansions. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 28 that the priests would have to go in, strip off their glory and beauty, put on their linen garments, strip off their glory and beauty, put on their linen garments, and then go out into the world. When Jesus came, what did, what, when the disciple that Jesus loved and Mary go running into the tomb, what did they find? His linen garments sitting there. Now he's ascended in all his glory and all in his beauty. And he sent the greatest gift that he could ever send to you and I. And he is to be our friend. The early church depended on the Holy Spirit like nothing else. Literally, if you begin to read it for what it says, it'll say that it seemed right to the Holy Spirit. Every decision that they made was based on what the Holy Spirit was telling them to do. How many mundane, practical, natural decisions is God wanting to influence in your life, but you won't let him in? Bible says in the Old Testament that the priest would go in and make sacrifices unto God, and they would have to stand continuously. But when Jesus came, when he stripped off his glory and his beauty, he came as a man to give us a definition of how it was supposed to look. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, the same place that you and I are seated, and he didn't have to stand up any longer. Come on, somebody. But now he is seated forever. Man stands up, but Jesus sits down forever and we're to be seated in him amen come on let's lift our hands to Jesus Jesus is emerging and arising and coming forcefully and stumbling over goodness will cause blindness to the spiritual awakening that he's doing. 2020 is going to be a year that prodigal sons come home. 2020 is going to be a year that families get brought back to wholeness. People that threw the call down years ago are going to pick it back up. 
and they're going to run again. They're going to run with endurance, friend. And what you thought costed them, God's going to redeem them right back to where they are because it'll be our job not to judge them. It'll be our job to say, well, look at everything that you did wrong. It'll be our job to remove our shoe like Joshua did and give your sandal to the Lord and say, I know that there's a beaming pole in my eye and I'm not going to trip over everything else. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. If I boast in anything, I boast that he is for me and in his grace alone. Come on, raise your hands right here. I want to send you into this right here. We're going to pray today that Jesus is going to send us into a boat of rest. Come on, shout yes. He's going to send us into confident faith. Listen, according to Hebrews chapter 4, the children of the Israel never, rented, never entered into the realm of rest. They got into the land of rest. But there's something far greater over here if you'll just experience, friend. That word rest, and I didn't get to read it to you, but that word rest, in the, in the Greek, this is what it means, kataposis. In other words, and a whole abode of rest. Jesus is trying to send you into not just a land, but an entire lifestyle. And the same goosebumps and the tears that you feel in here on church on Sunday morning will be the same tears that you're going to cry taking your kids to school, going to the mailbox, walking your dog, sitting down with your family. Jesus is not just real inside of a building. He's real in your service. He's real inside your workplace. He's real inside of your car. He's real inside of everywhere that we go because you take him with you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that these that are under the sound of my voice, God, are going to enter into an abode of rest. I say concerning these people, Lord, that they're going to enter into a season of confident faith, rivers of kindness, waters of mercy, oceans of joy, supernatural, childlike wonder, and grace to go where you've never gone in God. Moment by moment, friendship, Held by reverent wonder. Come on, begin to stir yourself right here. You don't have to answer an altar call. Just let the Lord touch you right where you're sitting at, friend. I say concerning these people that their best days are ahead of them. I say that December moving into 2020 is going to be a year that they hear you like never before. I declare, Lord, that January will be the greatest first month of every year that they've ever had. I thank you for love like a river. I thank you for oceans of joy. I thank you for an abode of rest. I thank you for rivers of peace, pools in the desert, waters in the wilderness, crooked places made straight. High places brought low, low places brought high. Who in here would say this? I'm, in, I'm about to enter or I've already entered into a time that's extremely tough for me. And if God doesn't come through for me, I'm going to be in a mess. Raise your hand. I need, come on, I need God right now for us. I'm not going to call him out. But you need God. And if he doesn't do it, if God doesn't become your spotter like what we talked about earlier, you feel like you're going to crumble and fall. Other than these, is there anybody else? Anybody else that will say, I need God supernaturally for a current situation right now. Okay, just have your hand up. I see you. If Hey, if you, if you see somebody with your hand up, we're not going to bow the head and not do all that stuff. If you see somebody with their hand up, a couple people that are around them, place your hand on them. Just place their hand right on their shoulder. Just, just wrap your arm around them, pull them in tight. Is there anybody else? Come on that would say, hey, I just need God to help me. You guys? You guys? No? Anybody else? Over here. 
Okay, great. These here. Yes, I see you guys. Thank you, Lord. Come on, those that are praying right now. You don't, you don't need me. You don't need Pastor John. You pray. You lift your voice. The church is way too silent as it is. We need to learn to lift our voices in prayer. Break your box. Holy Spirit, we need you. Oh, God, we need you, Lord. And we recognize the imputed righteousness that we have in you. We are nothing without you. We need you to do it, God. So, Holy Spirit, I say, come into alignment these things that are out of order. Just like in Mark chapter 4, that storm was swirling out of order. And Jesus said, hush, calm down. I speak to these situations that they will come into rest like never before. I thank you, Lord, that the battle is already fixed and no weapon formed against them shall be able to prosper. I declare a new season of rest, joy, dreams, visions, and they're going to talk to you as God spoke to a friend. I thank you for supernatural wisdom, and I say concerning these people that they're entering into a prophetic breakthrough season of victory in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe the word of the Lord this morning, put your hands together. You are dismissed. We love you. Be here on Wednesday night. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.